Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is on the air. Your host, Nathan Wilson, with Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, is excited about providing information every gardener and non-gardener, homeowner, and apartment dweller can use. From vegetables to containers and compost to pruning shears, Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is here for you. Now here's Nathan. Well, good morning, gang, and welcome to today's program here on New Southern Garden. Of course, I'm your gardening pal, Nathan Wilson, and I'm so delighted, as always, to have you join us to talk all things growing, making your little piece of the world a little greener, maybe, a little happier. Yes, it takes some sweat. It might take some tears. (laughs) And of course, there are those little accidents we have. Might take a little bit of blood, but we will make our landscapes a pleasing place to live in, read a book in, play with the kids in, whatever your reason for gardening or goals or purposes. Maybe it is to make sure you have plenty of homegrown blueberries and fruits, vegetables, whatever reason. That's for you to decide. Nobody can really tell you why you should grow a garden. It's something that you have to discover. And of course, knowing our goals, knowing our goals with our spaces is going to be critical because of course, of course, there are those uh, things we want to get out of our landscape. We want to get out of our um, gardens. And if we don't have a clear definition of what we're trying to do and that's going to make it difficult to do it so hopefully you've already set those goals we usually talk about that in the uh, beginning of the year but now that we've made it through now that we've made it through half of the the year the first half of the year it's probably a good time to reevaluate those goals from new year's because of course we've got plenty of growing season to go And if you've forgotten about something that you wanted to try this year, you still got plenty of time to do it. If you wanted to grow cut flowers from seed, you still have time. But you better hurry soon. Because depending on what kind of flower you're wanting to grow, you need a certain amount of growing days. And of course, that's highly dependent upon whatever kind of plant you're looking to grow. Zinnias would be quick. Cosmos would be quick. Sunflowers, some of those can take 120 days to bloom. So be sure that if you are looking uh, to grow some new things this year, make sure you have enough time to actually get them ready to go. You could still grow tomatoes from seed. Uh, I think from heart to harvest, from seed to harvest, tomatoes it varies, but maybe 55, 75, 85 days. So depending on the varieties of types. And if you're starting some things late this year, then it's critical to think about the type of plant or the cultivar, the variety, and make sure that you've got plenty of time to grow it. But don't get discouraged by it being 
the end, near the end of June, uh, be sure that you just recognize that you surely can get out there and try some things. Go through that list of goals and desires, dreams you might have had at the beginning of the year and see if you've met them. If you're halfway to meeting them, then that's pretty good because the year's about half over. But if you sort of got slow to start, slow to get going, and you're ready to go now, and start checking off that list and making sure that you're getting all those garden dreams accomplished this year. It, it is not the end of the month, but it is the last Saturday of the month, and today we are going to be answering your questions. Of course, there's only 30 days in June, and that will fall on Friday, next Friday. So uh, this is the last Saturday, which means we are going to answer your questions. We are going to be going to the mailbox, the mailbag the inbox, the social media posts, wherever you have sent us your questions, and we're going to answer them because, of course, we try to uh, uh, educate and inspire and expose you to new things week after week, but uh, we like to help you specifically. And so by having a Q&A week here at the end of the month, uh, that helps us to look back at the month of June, see what issues you may have had, and help you address them so that you are being as specific as possible, uh, or as we are being as specific as possible to help you in your landscape. So uh, if you do have a question in the upcoming weeks or months or hopefully years, uh, you can always find us online at NewSouthernGarden.com, the contact us page there. You can insert your question there. And of course, we're on Facebook and Instagram, so you can uh, direct message us there or share a post on the page, and we'll be glad to answer those in the upcoming uh, Q&A weeks. So we do appreciate everyone who's taken the time this month to send us a question. Of course, June is an exciting month because we're getting warm. Uh, we're getting warm, and this month in particular, we've had a good bit of rain, this week in particular. Uh, so things are growing, and not only are plants growing, but problems that may affect your plants are growing too. That's right, insects and disease. Those two things are going to be issues probably. Uh, the more moisture we have, the, the warmer it is, then the more problems we will see. It's just a wonderful environment for pestilence to thrive. But I hope you're not dealing with too much of those. We do have a pest problem today, uh, which I think as a gardener, you have either had this problem before or you have maybe uh, going to deal with it in the future. Uh, we will talk about that a little later, leave you in suspense. But uh, of course, we're going to talk about some other things, uh, the perfect plant Someone is looking for the perfect plant, and someone else is trying to transplant a tree. So there's going to be a good uh, variety of topics we'll talk about today. Uh, but before we get into your questions, I thought that I'd bring you a little bit of inspiration, a uh, little bit of encouragement. And this, this, I want to share a quote with you that comes from our former president, Thomas Jefferson. Of course, no one here uh, on this planet was around when he was president, but he had some interesting things to say. And we've talked about Thomas Jefferson before because, of course, he is one of the early, um, uh, early American garden influencers. You know, uh, social media wasn't around, but of course, pamphlets were, and those were going all over the place. There were people on the search for new plants here in North America, uh, from the East Coast to the West Coast, plant explorers. And uh, then a little later, the plant explorers went into the, um, to the, to the Asia, to, into Asia, that part of the world. And so uh, he kind of falls right there in the middle of all this plant exploration 
and uh, developments and also um, uh, new varieties, things like that. Uh, of course, probably one of his more iconic quotes, and I'm going to summarize this one, but uh, he said that basically the greatest service uh, that a citizen could provide his country is the introduction of a useful plant. And I've used that before in this program because that shows you how far we've come. I don't know. Uh, you don't hear politicians talking quite like that. The greatest thing you could do for your country is to provide it with a useful plant. Who even thinks about plants in Washington, D.C., right? And this quote kind of follows along those lines. Thomas Jefferson said, No occupation is so delightful to me as the culture of the earth, and no culture comparable to that of the garden. That's a great quote. Like I just said, who in Washington, D.C. talks like this anymore? Don't you wish that uh, instead of bickering and complaining that maybe they would talk a little bit more about flowers and plants and fruits and vegetables? That would be wonderful if we had uh, statesmen who were also agrarians. And I know there are plenty who are serving in Congress and uh, our state capitals who are farmers. But I think that, you know, I guess because society in general, we've left the agricultural land. And now the agricultural land of old is becoming developed. And so we're definitely into parts of suburbia and we're into parts of uh, city and urban spaces. But that doesn't mean that gardening should not be in those places. As a matter of fact, I would go so far to say that because we are doing more and more developments, developing our land into uh, businesses and warehouses and whatnot, that that is more reason to make sure we're gardening in those spaces. You see, the beautiful thing about plants is that they can almost grow anywhere. Plants don't grow very well inside of caves, okay? Plants don't grow very well inside of caves. But outside of that, there are plenty of plants that can fill any niche or any nook or cranny. You know, you just got to find the right plant. As the old saying goes, uh, plant a plant for the space don't do it the other way. Don't just cram plants in an area because you want them, even though they may not thrive. The right plant in the right space, uh, or rather the right space for the right plant, kind of goes both ways. But I thought that this quote, no occupation is so delightful to me as the culture of the earth, and no culture comparable to that of the garden was quite inspiring. Of course, that is from our third president, Thomas Jefferson, the author, the Declaration of Independence. And even from the grave, <laughs> he is calling to us uh, to enjoy, to enjoy our American landscapes, to enjoy the garden, to uh, sink our fingers into the earth, to dig our toes in when we're relaxing. I don't know. Uh, definitely dig the trowel in and cultivate, cultivate the culture of a gardening, uh, uh, the culture of a garden. It's a wonderful thing. And if uh, you're listening to this program, you're probably interested to some degree in growing your own garden. Uh, but maybe for those in your life who haven't had much experience, who haven't had many trials or tribulations in the garden, maybe encourage them to do so. You know, one of the best gifts you could probably give to encourage someone to grow uh, their own garden is to give them a plant. Now, 
probably the likelihood of that plant surviving in the hands of someone who's not interested in growing things is pretty high. Uh, yeah, not surviving. Uh, so be sure to expect that. But I don't think that giving a plant, you know, when you give someone a plant, and I'm not talking about cut flowers like from the florist shop, I'm talking about a plant from a plant nursery, from a garden center, because those are going to be plants, not just cuttings, okay? Cut flowers are just cuttings. They wither away in no time, and they're gone. You're, they're going to throw them out. But if you're looking to give a gift this summer uh, to someone, birthday, graduation, a wedding anniversary, whatever, baby shower. How about a plant? A plant with roots. Because a plant with roots, not just a cutting, but a plant with roots can be planted somewhere into a pot. It can be planted into the ground, and that plant can continue to grow. And then whatever whatever you gave that gift for, birthday, graduation, it will nearly memorialize that. Maybe the passing of, of, of a friend's mother or the passing of, of a family member, and you give it out to other family members. Plants go plants move along through time with people maybe i'm getting too philosophical but plants do move along through time with people some plants are only here for a short time tomato plants are here for one season and they're done same with zinnias and cosmos these annual plants but then other plants the perennial plants they follow through time some for many years uh, and some for many decades like trees and of course, trees, they continue to grow. Um, when we plant trees, remember the old saying, when we plant a tree, we're not planting it for us. We are planting trees for another generation. We may not get to sit under the shade of the trees we plant, but surely our children, children's children, children's children's children will be able to enjoy the shade from a tree that we planted decades before. So let's take the advice of uh, our founding father and third president of the United States, Thomas Jefferson, and find the beauty of the culture of a garden. Find the enjoyment of growing and cultivating the earth, and then, of course, enjoying the space, not just working it, but enjoying the space. After all, aren't we all looking for a little piece of Eden, the Garden of Eden, a little bit of paradise, and your plot may be large, your plot may be small. But no matter the size of the plot, I guarantee you that you can create a sense of place. You can create a place to enjoy, a place to entertain, a place to host get-togethers, whatever it may be. Because it is these places that will remind us maybe of places we've been in the past. Maybe gardens that your mother used to grow. Maybe certain plants that your mother had in her landscape or your grandmother. You can surely grow those same plants and bring back those memories. It's amazing how plants can give us, um, they can help us recall our memory. Whether it's a fragrance that a plant gives, the soft sweetness of a rose, or um, maybe a bitter fragrance or taste in the garden, can bring back memories. It can bring us back home in some ways. But when we get back from this break, we will answer your questions. So we do appreciate all these questions today, and we look forward to giving answers to help you specifically with your specific problems. Hang on tight. We'll be right back.
Hey gang, do you sometimes feel like you are riding a lonely trail while gardening, all alone with no one to join in the fun? Well, join the new Southern Garden community today and find peace of mind by sharing your experiences, whether they be poor ones or successful ones. New Southern Garden is on Facebook and Instagram, so I'd love for you to friend, follow, like, share whatever it is we're doing these days. Also, you can check out our website at NewSouthernGarden.com where you can not only find every episode of the show ever, but you can also send us a question via our contact us page. It's never fun gardening alone. So get social with the New Southern Garden family and let's grow well. Well, Mr. Producer, I, I hope that that segment before the break, I didn't get too deep and philosophical there or too much stream of consciousness, but I was talking about, of course, enjoying your space and trying to create a place that brings back memories. Of course, the whole idea of gardening is to create a sense of place, and we can do so. But of course, sometimes in these places that we create, problems exist. And problems will pop up and problems will, will, will arise. And today, of course, is our Q&A week. So we are going to the mailbox, the mailbag, answering your questions. And for Ron, uh, who's listening, watching, responding, messaging us on Facebook, uh, he's got a problem. A problem has arisen and he has identified the problem, which I will remind you is really the first step into treating a problem or dealing with a problem. And so Ron basically here has found out that he has slugs demolishing, going crazy for things like hosta, maybe some hydrangeas. It's a long list of things here. And, you know, no matter what the slug is eating, there are some ways you can catch them. There are some ways that you can uh, uh, repel them, if you will, um, and sort of eliminate them. Yeah. So with all this moisture we're having, of course, slugs love it. Uh, they're mollusks. They're they're like, a, uh, well, I guess like an oyster without a shell, sort of. You know, they are definitely one of our terrestrial, meaning living on the land, mollusks, 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 mollusks. And anyhow, so these slugs are going... Uh, they're usually not going to be out when you're out. They're usually not going to be out in the heat of the day. Now, they may be hiding, lurking under leaves or rocks or uh, the base of a tree, somewhere in the shade, uh, somewhere where it's moist, because, of course, they dry. They could dry out quickly, they're kind of like worms in that way. But they, they, they're not really insects. And so if you have insecticide that you plan to use on your slugs, it's not necessarily going to be effective. Unless it kills a variety, a variety of critters, including maybe humans, then it's not going to work. And of course, you shouldn't be using chemistries that could harm humans anyways. But uh, there are some fairly maybe organic and easy ways to go. The thing with slugs, I'm glad Ron has noticed that's what it is. Because again, you may not see the slug. You may not see the slug during the daytime. You're really going to see them at night. That's when they're going to do most of their work and the, the cool of the environment that nighttime gives us. Uh, so a lot of times, folks don't even realize that slugs is what the problem is. But you will notice, just like out of nowhere, 
if you're examining your plants during the day, you'll notice out of nowhere, there's just these irregular shaped holes, uh, maybe along the edge of the leaf, maybe in the interior of the leaf. And a lot of times you can diagnose it that way, particularly if it's things like hostas in Ron's case that we know slugs love and enjoy. And of course, slugs rarely are going to climb high into plants, so they tend to feed on plants that stay low to the ground, much like a hosta. So once you can identify that you've got them, you know, if you go out to those same plants in the nighttime with a flashlight, you may actually be able to spot them. And that's one of the best ways to know that you do have slugs. There, there was a lady who had brought in uh, some pictures or was explaining, I forget, uh, about a plant that she's like, I have no clue what it was. And it looked like obvious slug damage. It looked like slug damage. And when I mentioned that, she got def- kind of offended like, no, I've looked. I do not see slugs. And I'm like, well, they come out at night. And she, oh, well, I didn't check at night. I just thought these things were eating and running away. And they sort of do. But of course, slugs don't move fast. So if you recognize the slug, um, or if you can visually see the slug at nighttime, then it's a surefire way to make sure uh, that you've got them. If they're not feeding during the day, be sure to Find out what is causing those mysterious holes in the leaves at nighttime. So other than identifying them, the the next thing to do with slugs is to either trap them or maybe use some um, organic iron phosphate. So let's start with that. Iron phosphate is a naturally occurring compound that, of course, uh, slugs don't agree with. And so whether, whether they slide through this iron phosphate or consume the iron phosphate, it's not good for them. And it's a good thing because it doesn't really harm other insects in particular, maybe snails or something in the mollusk family, but it won't really harm your pollinators. And again, this is just iron phosphate, so it's not going to be harmful to pets or humans. Um, But usually you can find this maybe as a spray. Uh, I see it a lot as a little pellet. And so the idea is that you sprinkle the pellet around the base of your plants. The iron phosphate starts to be triggered. Of course, moisture is going to break the pellet down. And then iron phosphate is left behind in the solution around the plant, um, in the moisture around the plant. And they do not like it. Um, it kind of, uh, they just don't enjoy it. They just don't like it. So you can go with iron phosphate. Um, I don't really know of particular brands. I do know Bonide makes a, um, a slug product with iron phosphate. It is um, an organic, all-natural product, um, so you may look for that. Now, another way is to use beer. That's right. You've heard about it probably, but I'll go ahead and mention it. It's basically creating a beer slug trap, and you can leave out a pan of beer around the base of the plant. Some people will use sort of like a, a a tuna fish can or maybe a cat food can, you know, small squatty can. Of course, empty. Get the cat food and the tuna fish out of there. Clean it off, rinse it off, but then bury it so that the top of the can is in line with the surrounding soil. And then fill the pan or the dish with beer. Does it have to be top of the line beer? No, it doesn't have to be top of the line. Does it even have to be fresh beer? No. Uh, so the idea is that the slugs are attracted to it. Uh, they really fall into it and then they drowned. So it's, uh, 
you know, consuming too much alcohol is never good, especially when you've got a slimy body that can probably pull the alcohol in. So it definitely will kill them and it will eliminate them. Um, but you probably would want to freshen that trap, if you will, every so often checking on it, making sure that uh, your kitties aren't thinking you're putting out a um, after five o'clock dessert for them or something. But uh, regardless, uh, be on the lookout for your trap because you just want to, anytime you have something that's um, trap-like in the landscape, you do want to check it regularly. Uh, every day would be good. Every other day for this snail, uh, slug trap would probably work. But Ron, slugs are something that gardeners deal with all the time. Uh, sounds like maybe you have been, but uh, those are two surefire ways, iron phosphate and creating sort of a beer trap out of a thin pan or a um, small um, cat food uh, tin would be wonderful as well. So looking for the damage is going to be the critical thing when you're dealing with slugs. Remember, you don't normally see the slugs during a, the middle of the day when it's hot and it's dry. They don't like those conditions. So looking for irregular holes that are dotted throughout the leaf, it could be on the interior of the leaf, it could be on the edge of the leaf, um, that would be a good place to look for this damage all over the leaf, sometimes the stems. But uh, otherwise, if you use the iron phosphate, whether it's a liquid form or usually pelletized form or then a beer trap, that will help eliminate some. Now, if you have a lot of hostas, of course, I would probably go with the iron phosphate to cover more ground. Uh, but a beer trap here and there around the base of hydrangeas, around the base of hosta plants and other things that the slugs love, both of these are non-invasive. They're not really going to affect the environment around you. They're not harsh chemicals, uh, but they do seem to be quite effective. So, Ron, thank you for your question you sent to us via Facebook. Of course, like I said, there's a lot of ways you can contact us at NewSouthernGarden.com and, of course, on Facebook and Instagram. Well, we don't really accept uh, smoke signals anymore, uh, but you can always get in touch with us online. So, well, let's uh, go ahead and ask the next question. Yeah, we've got a few seconds. So James is in North Georgia, sent us an email, and I'll summarize. He's looking for the perfect plant. Here's his requirements. He is looking for a plant. He's looking for a plant that never loses its leaves, blooms all the time, and of course, does not need much maintenance. Well, you're going to have to hang out for the other side of this break to get the answer to what is the perfect plant. Everybody's looking for that. You know, everybody is looking for the perfect plant, and I guess, well, I'll just leave it for the other side of this break. So when we get back, we'll give James the perfect plant for his garden. Hang on tight. Greenness unfolded for the world to behold. Stories untold come to life. Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is on the air. Your host, Nathan Wilson, with Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, is excited about providing information every gardener and non-gardener, homeowner, and apartment dweller can use. From vegetables to containers and compost to pruning shears, Nathan Wilson's New Southern Garden Show is here for you. Now here's Nathan. Well, gang, today is the last Saturday of the month here on New Southern Garden. We like to answer your questions, your gardening questions. So we appreciate everyone who has sent us a question this month. 
We rarely have time uh, in one program to get to them all because I tend to be long-winded. So it's my fault, and I apologize for that. But regardless, we've already uh, went to Facebook and answered Ron's question about controlling slugs around as hostas and hydrangeas. They just, those slugs are pesky. Uh, rarely do they do enough to kill the plant, but I guess if they eat enough of it, they can definitely cause some damage. So Ron should be squared away with getting rid of his slugs. Now, James in North Georgia is up next, and he was sending us a question we've already asked, but I'll summarize. He's looking for the perfect plant. He wants an evergreen plant. That means it keeps its leaves all year. He wants it to bloom all the time, and he doesn't want any maintenance on it. So low maintenance. Now that may seem ridiculous, and sometimes it is, but that is actually what a lot of people are looking for, aren't we? We're looking for the perfect plant. So I guess I have to get into that, and this might be another uh, philosophical discussion, Mr. Producer, because uh, I do have I do have thoughts on plants such as this. But we are going to have another question a little later about transplanting a tree that comes from Instagram. But when we get to talking about the perfect plant. I have to say up front, there is no such plant. Let's answer the question in short. <laughs> there is no perfect plant. Let's start with evergreen. So there are plenty of plants that are evergreen. Plenty of plants are evergreen. That means they keep their leaves all year. Azaleas keep their leaves all year. Well, certain azaleas. Uh, gardenias keep their leaves all year. What else? Many of the conifers. Most of the conifers. So your cryptomeria, your uh, false cypress, like the gold mop false cypress. It's a great little shrub that keeps its leaves all year. Many hollies. Most of the hollies. And so you can see there are a number of plants that keep their leaves all year. But I'll tell you something we find. This is very interesting. This is really just personal observation. I'm sure there's some science to back it up. I don't know. But we have to give and take when it comes to plants. We've got to give something up in order to get something in return. And what I mean is most of the plants that are evergreen and keep their leaves all year, they look happy, healthy, they're green all year. Most of those plants don't bloom as much as plants that drop their leaves in the year, at the end of the year. So, in other words, a gardenia is nearly a perfect plant because it's one of the few evergreens that has a large, showy flower. But it does really just bloom in the summer. You're not going to have any blooms in the early spring. You're not going to have any blooms uh, really in the fall, especially after frost. And no blooms over winter, but you will have shiny green leaves. But then you look at the hydrangeas. Now, I would classify the hydrangeas as more showy than a gardenia. They have huge blooms. Many of them can rebloom, And they come in a variety of colors. So lots of whites, but then there's the pinks and the blues and the purples and nearly reds. And so they're quite the heavy bloomer. And, you know, very uh, diverse bloomer. But they drop their leaves. So here we have this situation where we can get the evergreenness from a gardenia and we get some flowers or we can get the heavy blooms of a hydrangea, but we lose the leaves over winter. So again, that's the way I like to uh, position this 
answer to a question such as this, where we're looking for a plant that keeps its leaves all year, blooms all all the time, and of course has low maintenance. Low maintenance is another another topic, but the idea is if you're looking for an attractive landscape, don't go searching for the perfect plant. Go looking for a variety of plants that give you certain characteristics. So James, what you need to be on the lookout for are plenty of evergreen plants, so they will provide you with that green coverage you want over winter, but also be on the lookout for heavy blooming plants, plants that may bloom strictly in the spring, but then somewhere down the line or in another area, you have plants that bloom in the summer, and then you can uh, bring in some evergreen camellias, which of course are winter blooming shrubs. So as long as you're doing selective, I mean, as long as you're being very selective on what you place in your space, and this really is important when you have a small space, a small landscape, because you don't want to have too much of one thing, but you don't want it to be so diverse that it looks like mush, just one plant of every plant you could imagine in the world. So being selective, making sure you know when certain plants bloom, and getting a variety of plants that cover your bases for blooms all year. And then, of course, having plants that are going to be evergreen all year. But don't just, don't just stop with blooms. Also be looking for characteristics like the texture of a plant. We've talked about this many times, and we will continue to talk about the texture of a plant. That's basically, are the leaves of a plant really big and coarse? Like camellia and hydrangea, they have big leaves. Or are the leaves really fine and small? Like the, uh, say, ferns, plenty of evergreen ferns you could use. Or maybe the the false cypress or the cryptomerias, like I mentioned. They have very small leaves, great texture. And then, of course, with leaves comes the color of the leaf. Some plants are dark green. Some plants' leaves are bright green, nearly chartreuse, limey green, and some are very yellow. And then again, like loripedlums, they're nice and purple leaves. So be on the lookout for all these characteristics. I don't want to burst a bubble about looking for the perfect plant. But if we define, I guess everybody's idea of a perfect plant may be different. But if we define a plant as a plant that's evergreen all year, never drops its leaves, a plant that blooms all the time, that's highly rare. Really, I don't know of a plant that blooms all the time. Everything has a season, right? And then, of course, the low maintenance. Uh, It's really hard for us to say that there is such a plant. Now, when it comes to low maintenance, let's just have a few notes here. So, because plants are living creatures, let me back up. Living creatures need maintenance. Plants are living creatures. Therefore, plants will need some kind of maintenance. So when you're trying to go with low maintenance, be sure that you are appropriately sizing, appropriately sizing the plant for its space. One of the worst mistakes that creates a lot of maintenance in our landscapes is to plant big plants in tight, small spaces. You see, if you have a bay window that's only about three feet, the bottom of the window is about three feet above the ground and you plant a camellia directly in front of the bay window, that plant will do one of two things. It'll either be taller than the window, or you will be having to trim it back to keep it below the window. So if we have uh, 
spaces like under windows that need small plants, let's be sure we double check the size of a plant and make sure we don't get one that's going to be too tall and require constant pruning and trimming. You see, folks, certain plants get bad names not because they're bad plants, but because the planter planted them in bad spaces. Does that make sense? It's our fault. It's our fault sometimes that so uh, certain plants are high maintenance because they were not uh, placed appropriately. We didn't think about the maturity of that plant. When we bought it, it was in a pot. It had fluffy leaves and little short stems, and it was a cute little baby. But cute little babies grow up to be big monsters. And of course, uh, when we put a camellia or a ligustrum, a tea olive, even some hydrangeas and some loripedlums, there are plenty of plants that get really tall. When we put them in areas that need really a small plant, they get a bad name. We think they're too high maintenance. So that's one of the critical things is when you're looking, James, to fill a space, be sure you know exactly how big of an area that is and how big of a plant you're going to be putting there. Because remember, the smaller the space and the bigger the plant, the more maintenance. But if you have a space that matches the size of a plant, then it's less maintenance. It's less maintenance. Now, uh, let's see, when it comes to maintenance, some other concerns are like diseases, right? Uh, or maybe are insects prone to it? Well, of course, at the top of the list is probably something like roses. Roses, not from the size perspective, as far as being high maintenance, but roses from uh, the fact that disease loves, black spots love to come in, some molds and fungus and bacteria, they love to come in on our roses because of the climate we're in. Be on the lookout for plants that are disease resistant, right? That's another word that we've used a lot in this program. There are plenty of roses that have great deals, great amounts of disease resistance bred into them. And so they would be a better contender than maybe a plant that tends to uh, get spots as soon as a rain falls. So otherwise, uh, looking for height control and appropriate spacing and appropriate size plants for certain sized areas, looking for plants that are notorious about diseases, and maybe finding some improvements on those varieties and cultivars uh, as far as disease resistance goes would be critical for low maintenance. But when it comes to answering this question, James, it's always hard for me to answer. What is the perfect plant? What is a plant that looks good all year, has leaves all year, blooms all the time, and of course needs low maintenance? It's really hard to answer the question, but I will attempt. There is a plant that has been around for a couple of decades now, and they're introducing new and new and new ones all the time. But they fall into the azalea group, and particularly they've named these, this group of azaleas the Encore Azaleas. All right, maybe... Maybe they're nearly the perfect plant, but there is no such thing. I'll tell you why. Because these azaleas are evergreen plants, so that checks that off. Now, these azaleas, the encores, and some other varieties of azaleas that since Encore got started, other people are getting their, their plants out there that are reblooming azaleas, but they bloom in the spring like God intended azaleas to do, right? They bloom in the spring like everybody's grandmother's azaleas did but then if they're in enough sunlight they get enough sun they get about uh, seven six to eight hours of sun a day they'll rebloom throughout the summer 
usually giving another flush near the end of summer, but then usually we see nearly a spring-like blossom set or a blossom show, flower show, again in the fall. Do they do anything in the winter? No, but they do have those evergreen leaves that you're looking for. As far as maintenance, uh, they still can get like lace bug, which most azaleas do that are planted in the sun. Um, if it's too dry, they don't want that. If it's too wet, they don't want that. Um, so not super drought tolerant, but established azaleas rarely die in a drought. Uh, so yes, it comes with its, uh, you know, comes with its problems, but James, I guess if you put me in this tight box of uh, these parameters, evergreen blooms a lot. I can't say blooms all the time, but blooms a lot, and uh, really doesn't need much maintenance. There's many dwarf varieties of these reblooming azaleas. Gosh, James, this might be the closest I could get you, but let me tell you this. To summarize the perfect plant, if the creator had made the perfect plant, we would have no need for all the others. So be sure that we are filling our garden with variety, with diversity. It's better for disease to have a variety of plants. It's better for insect control to have a variety of plant material. So go ahead and don't look for the perfect plant, but find plants with a variety of characteristics that are going to bloom throughout the year or show off during the year. And then, of course, Place them appropriately in your landscape and be sure to find plants that are notorious for diseases to have a bit of disease resistance. When we get back, we are going to talk about Kinsey and her husband having to transplant some fruit trees. So hang on tight. We'll be right back. Hey gang, it's Nathan. Thanks so much for listening to the new Southern Garden Podcast. Of course, I love providing you with horticultural information to get you growing and growing well. But sometimes you need more than just information. You need plants. So I'd love for you to join me at Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, where you can find me throughout the week. But you can find more than just me, of course. <laughs> at Lanier Nursery and Gardens, you can browse through our wide selection of ornamental trees, glorious shrubs, and colorful perennials and annuals. And I want to thank all our listeners who have already made the trek to Lanier Nursery. It's been a pleasure to meet you and hear your gardening stories. We've got a wonderful crew of folks who are just itching to help you grow your best garden ever. So check out LanierNurseryGardens.com for more information and be sure to like us on Facebook and Instagram. Now let's get growing together. So gang, today is Q&A week here on New Southern Garden, and we've been just Q&A-ing, Q&A-ing all day long. We've been answering your questions already. We've talked about slug control, trying to get those little terrestrial mollusks out of our gardens, stop them from damaging our plants, and we've uh, talked about the perfect plant. That's right. We talked about the perfect plant, but if you missed uh, any part of this program, the perfect plant may not be exactly what you think. So be sure if you're missing out a, a little bit today to check us out online at NewSouthernGarden.com and of course on Facebook and Instagram, uh, your favorite podcasting app, and be sure to send us a question for next month. That'll be July. Golly, we're getting closer to July. But we've got to go to Instagram and answer Kinsey's question. Now, Kinsey says that her husband, her husband will be transplanting some fruit trees that he 
planted a couple of years ago because, and, and I know you can't see this question, but I'll tell you that you can see the um, argumentative nature here or the, the problems that Kinsey's having with her husband. He planted fruit trees on their property line two years ago, and she does say he didn't realize it. Recently had a survey done where uh, they found out that their neighbor's putting up a fence, and the neighbor says, well, you have your plants on my side. And so Kinsey says he will, that's all capitals, capital W, capital I, capital double L, will be transplanting his fruit trees. He's going to have to do it soon because the neighbor's fence is coming up. So she basically is asking, what are some tips? How do we do this to make sure that we have success? Well, Kenzie, I'll go ahead and start by saying I hate the fact that your neighbor's fence is going up now because summer is the worst time to transplant plants. All right, the research shows that when we transplant plants, and again, let's say what transplanting is. Transplanting is relocating a plant. So a plant that's been growing in one area and you are transplanting it. Trans means different. Planting means moving it somewhere else. So different place. Moving a tree to a different place. When you're transplanting, the research shows that doing it while the plant is dormant is ideal. Is ideal. But it sounds like you've got a legal issue on your hands. You have your plants on somebody else's property, and they need that space right now to build a fence. So you must do what you must do, or rather, Kinsey, uh, Mr. Kinsey must do what he must do, and I can tell that you're going to make him do it, so uh, thanks for this message. I always tell people that I can tell you how to grow a plant, I can tell you maybe what plants to use in certain spaces, but I cannot get involved in domestic disputes. So I'll leave this conversation strictly, uh, strictly for the plant and the transplanting itself. So if you could do it in the fall, that'd be great. But since you're not going to do it this in the fall, you've got to do it now. The most critical thing that your husband needs to do, Kinsey, is to make sure that he gets as much of the root ball intact as possible. So be sure that you are digging uh, at least 12 inches away from the trunk. So that'd give you a two foot root ball, a two foot diameter root ball, maybe more if you can. Now remember, you will be picking up this root ball and trying to keep trying to keep the soil together so you're not ripping roots apart and moving it into a new space. So the new home needs to be as wide as possible, soften soil. Uh, but before you pull the plant out of its current location, make sure your root ball is as big as possible. You want to keep as much of the root ball intact as possible. So hopefully your husband goes to the gym and has a lot of muscle power because the bigger the root ball he can move, the better it will be for these plants. Now, of course, digging a hole, we talk about this all the time, but just in summary, you want a super wide hole. You want a hole at least two to three times the width of that root ball that you're moving. And critical here is going to be make sure that the backfill soil, so the soil that goes back around the root ball is super soft. You don't want any clods of soil larger than an inch in diameter. So when you're packing that around, make sure you're busting up the soil as much super soft soil is what we're looking for. And the hole doesn't have to be that deep, Kinsey. Make sure that the hole is no deeper than the depth of the root ball that he's bringing over into the new space. We don't want the stem of the trunk to be buried at all. 
We do not want to cover the stem with soil. We want to make sure that the stem is got good airflow and can stay dry. Um, and uh, after a rain, it can it can dry out. Uh, but once you've placed it, once you've used that soft soil around the root ball, be sure to use mulch. It's going to be critical, Kenzie. I mean, you're trying to um, move a plant that is actively growing. It's summertime, after all. That means that the leaves are on the trees, are they not? And those leaves are going to dry out quickly. They're going to dry out quickly if water can't get in through to the root system. And remember, Mr. Kinsey will have removed a large portion of that root system. And so moisture is going to be critical. And using a two-inch layer of mulch will help to trap moisture around the root ball and around the planting area. But of course, you want to water it the day you plant it to help settle soil out, move, um, move oxygen and large gaps between soil, pop that out of the ground, and allow a space that is going to be able to hold on to moisture but drain freely. That's always the case. That is what we look for, is well-drained but more moist soil. Then it's going to be a battle between you and nature because um, if the root ball that he's dug out is large enough and the plant has the ability to pull in moisture, if we go through a drought, then be sure that you will be watering, or maybe Mr. Kinsey will be watering uh, that those, those fruit trees. Because if we go through a drought and moisture in the soil is very low, you're going to have to supply it with moisture. Now, you might irrigate that area instead of using a hose. You might use a drip, uh, drip hose or some kind of drip irrigation, a sprinkler. But remember, if you use a sprinkler, it's got to be on for a long time to make sure we saturate the soil in dry conditions. Uh and then, of course, um, you could use those gator, I think they call them gator bags. I don't love those because people will fill those, you know, this, this kind of water reservoir around the base of a tree. And you wrap it around the base of the tree, you fill it with water, and it slowly leaks out. Well, that works as long as there's water in the bag. You can't just fill it up with water one day and then never refill it with water again. So using the gator bags works as long as you make sure that you refill those bags with more water. But that's going to be the biggest battle, Kenzie, is trying to make sure that you uh, are keeping that damaged root system moist but not wet. And then, of course, roots will develop if it can plow through. And you may fertilize maybe three weeks or so after you plant it. It's probably not a problem fertilizing right away, but I would give a couple of weeks for the plant to sort of get settled in, start some root growth, because once the roots grow, then those new roots will be um, ready, receptive to pulling in nutrition, trying to make sure that plant builds its root system over summer, and then it will continue to do so through fall and winter, will help make sure that the, by next year, say spring of next year, that that plant is alive, ready to put out flowers, ready to put out uh, leaves, and ready to set more fruits. So I hope that helps, Kenzie. Of course, uh, it's going to be a battle this time of year, but I believe you and Mr. Kenzie to, can do it. I'm just sorry that he didn't get the uh, property examined before he planted them. I bet he is sorry too. Well, gang, thank you for joining us here on New Southern Garden here on WRWH 93.9 FM. Of course, of course, this was our Q&A week. So check us out online sometime at NewSouthernGarden.com. Send us your question. We'd love to hear from you. I hope you stay well and grow well this weekend. I've been in the city too long. 
Hey, thanks for joining us for this edition of Nathan Wilson's New Southern Garden Show. If you have a comment about today's program, you can reach out to Nathan by sending an email to grow at LanierNurseryGardens.com. Also get more information at NewSouthernGarden.com. Join us next Saturday on Local News Radio 93.9 FM and AM 1350 for Nathan Wilson's New Southern Garden Show.